everyone, and welcome back to Deadline City. We are your hosts. I'm Zoraida Cordova. And I'm Danielle Clayton. And today we have, where are we going, Danielle? We're actually going to the to outer space. We have a very special individual here uh, to discuss a few things about creating narratives in the galaxy far, far away. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and that, I'm that, always um, to do that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Good. It's that, that disembodied Wizard of Oz voice is none other than the space poppy Daniel Jose Older. Pronounce the hell out of it. Thank pronounce you. the hell out of it. Uh, who is the New York Times bestselling author of the science fiction adventure Flood City? Middle grade historical fantasy series, Dactyl Hill Squad, The Book of Lost Saints, uh, so many books. Uh, he's written for Star Wars and as part of the High Republic series. But to me, it will always have started with Shadow Shaper, a book mm. about a magical girl in Brooklyn. So welcome to the Deadline City podcast, bro. Thank you, Soraya Cordova. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm, I am. I feel like I'm being tag teamed by two Latinos like today. Like I don't even. I can't wow. roll my R's. I can't do any of that. So I feel like no. there's a very specific kink for that. Oh my god! I hate you. This is what I deal with. Is it always like this? Yes, it's always like this. This is why people yeah. come to listen to our podcast because it's mess. As they should. That is that. Is, this is the way. What can I say? <laughs> it's great to be here. Oh, so happy. And like today, I've been harassing Sarita about something for a while now. As I wrap my head around space and space mm-hmm. opera and futuristic yeah. civilizations and Star Wars and Star Trek and all of these great big worlds that are set in galaxies far, far away. But what happens to race and culture? And so. Mm-hmm. So right, it's like, you lack imagination. I can't believe it. You just, well, you always bring it up. And it's true. I did not say, I would never say that you lack imagination. I just said, this is the way, bro. What? I was like, what did Zoraida actually say? I, I need a Zoraida translation. Since she is actually here to make her point, instead of just getting mocked ruthlessly. I do think that in certain aspects of science fiction, that when we go to space operas like Star Trek, and Star Wars, we get into this area of um, let's skip hundreds of years of uh, humans versus each other, and now it's humans versus aliens. And so there is the tendency, and I'm not saying this is correct, there is the tendency to sort of leave that behind and give all of the all of all of our civil rights things to aliens, which is not an allegory that I personally like. Right. Um, but I do think that that is the disconnect that Danielle mm-hmm. feels, right? Like uh, if you would look at Firefly, which I don't know if you've watched Danielle, but it it's sort of like it goes straight to humans versus aliens. instead, and, and then you have a ship of all these white people and then Gina Torres. And there's no sort of question about like how the dynamics of race continue to work once we're in the future. But I do think that it's possible for space opera to take that on. It's just not had strong foundations in the works that I have watched or read. That is the actual long TLDR. I did not say that. (laughs) You did. You did. But it's right. (laughs) I struggle. No, I, like, I just I translated. <laughs> yeah. I struggle um, connecting, anchoring mm-hmm. in, loving, like getting addicted to stories that are set in far, far away galaxies or space operas or, or any of that because I'm like, so what happened? What happened to sort of like structural racism? What happened to. Right. Um, Blacks and Latinos and indigenous folk, like what happened to us? Like, how did we just skip past all of that? So now we got all this multicultural rainbow coalition in space or all these civilizations that have all of us included, but there's no interrogation of it. And that's why I'm like, something must be wrong with me. But that's why I was like, we got to talk to space poppy about what happens (laughs) to race and culture in the future, oh, like, what happens to the Spanish language? What happens to what happens to it? It's a colonizer language, but like jump in. Let's let's do it. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna start by making a distinction that is gonna sound really caustic and nerdy, but I do think actually matters quite a bit in this conversation. So I want to say before I even do it, I'm gonna say like I'm not just trying to be like, well, actually, like I'm not. But this does matter, and this actually like gets to the crux in a way for me because I struggle with that too, you know. So, a there's nothing wrong with you. <laughs> if you don't like this, it's fine. But b it's it is a real thing, and c that to me brings up one of the crucial distinctions because I also get trolls in my mentions plenty being like, "Well, in the future, there's no gay people," <laughs> you know, like whatever ridiculous <laughs> thing they want about um, Star Wars, but like. Again, I'm, I'm not trying to be like, well, actually on this, but Star Wars not only doesn't take place in the future, it takes place a long time ago. That's what I literally told her. That is what I literally told her. I don't care. I don't care. Hold on, hold on. Let me finish my point before you make another point. Hold on. It's not just that it takes place in the past. It's that it takes place in a whole other galaxy. Like it's, you should look at it as high fantasy rather than group it with something like Star Trek which does take place like explicitly in the future of this realm of this earth. And I think that's where there's a bigger problem to be had and be like, okay, in the future, did racism just disappear? If it did, how, and what's really going on? But to me, like, if you're going to ask that question of star Wars, you also have to ask it of any high fantasy that has like lots of different characters of different races running around within humanity. You know what I mean? Yes. And I do ask that question. And I do get annoyed yes, as a writer who's like does not want me to bring up The Witcher, but I do that of certain properties of like, well, and Game of Thrones, where I'm like, oh, let's yeah. talk. There's slavery in this world based on, and there are brown people who are enslaved. Let's talk. You know what I mean? There's so also brown people doing the enslaving, which is I, I think true. the worst part about that. Worse. <laughs> it's I'm like you like, all wanted to be the like all you know not all hashtag not all white people with slavery in a fantasy realm it's just a yeah lot. and you're trying to tell me that that the lannisters are independently wealthy like okay <laughs> it's like okay bro but okay so can we let's fry the fish of let's start with star wars okay let's talk let's start there and then we'll move okay. to other things but start there okay. talk to me about race I mean, and culture I mean, my take on it is that, like the Star Wars universe doesn't have structural racism in the sense that we know it here. And I think that's fair for if you're creating a whole different world to be like, this is a world that doesn't have a race problem. I think you can do that. I think it becomes sticky when you're creating work in a world that does have a race problem and you're casting quote unquote blind casting or whatever you want to call it, colorblind casting, you know, and you're doing a bad job of it. So magically in a world with no race problem is still white people at the top and in positions of power and falling in love and having all the great narratives. Right. And I think that's where it's like, wait, <laughs> what's really going on. Right. Um, so I, I think that's where I kind of direct my gaze and my questions is like, if there's no race problem, then, you know, where are the black people in positions of power in Star Wars? And the answer, as things have changed, you know, I think it becomes more interesting and more clear. And if, and, and you can make a stronger case for being like, OK, there's no race in Star Wars. The rebellion is actually like a multiracial coalition like it should have been from the beginning. But that wasn't true. When the first rebellion we saw in the, in the original trilogy was mostly white people, you know, like 99% white people and mostly humans. And then I think as Star Wars developed and as things changed, and as people fought for representation on the screen, you know, we saw a very different rebellion in the uh, resistance in the sequel trilogy. And even in the kind of retcon version of the later versions, when we look back at the rebellion, like in Rebels, you know, there's more people of color. And that's how it should be, you know? So that's why that's my, that's my take on it. Like I think um, you know people are allowed to create worlds that don't have a race problem. I think it means you still have to kind of like cast with an understanding that this world does have a race problem. And what is that? Okay, okay. I'm letting this percolate <laughs> here. I'm letting this percolate here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just there's so many layers to that, and thinking about mm -hmm. what I like and what I can't see beyond, right? <laughs> Where I'm like, oh my God, this is a me problem versus like the property itself problem. And how can I find my points of entry into this mm -hmm. world um, that so many people enjoy? Yeah. And like, I enjoy it at a surface level, but I always yeah. wonder, I just always wonder, I have that like little nagging thing in me where I'm like, hmm, you're like, 
the black people can't, the black Jedis can't be treated well here. You know what I mean? And I'm like, why am I thinking that? Why, why can't I let myself, like, they're just Jedi, right? It's because asking you grew a up lot. in a world where, like, that, that, that's really hard to imagine, right? <laughs> like, I understand that. Like, it's hard to, like, like, wrap our heads around a world without racism. Like, there's a reason for that, because we haven't known that world our entire lives. So, like, of course that's a moment for you. You know, like, I think it's a moment for all of us. You know, I think we all have to have that moment. The question is then, like, do you get stuck on that moment? And that's not a judgment on that because there's, look, there's franchises that I get stuck on. I don't fuck with Star Trek. That's not my, I just don't, I don't have a, it's not bad. You know, I don't understand it. It's just not my, it's just not my fandom. You know what I mean? And like, in some ways, I do get stuck in, in part on this very topic is that like a lot of times when I have watched Star Trek, it feels like it's trying to show me this one happy world without having earned it. And because it's based on this world and it's earth in the future, like that feels like a lie on some level. It feels like an undealt with thing. And it feels like a one happy family kind of kumbaya bullshit thing. So that's, and I'm not saying like, that's a fundamental flaw of Star Trek. I haven't watched enough to even say that. I'm just saying like, that's where my imagination starts to get jogged and starts to do exactly what you're saying. Part of the reason it doesn't happen with, with Star Wars is like, one of the things I love the most about it is that it, it is fantasy. And that's kind of where I just go with it. So when my mind starts to be like, wait, then I kind of, the part of me that just goes into fantasy world mode takes over. And it's like, all right, you know, that's not, this is also a world where there's in theory, no homophobia or transphobia. Right. Um, And that's something that I went out of my way to really canonize um, in last shot by having like Han and Lando be cool about they, them pronouns. Like, but again, I think it takes intentionality, right? Like that was something that we had to like show, I think, to make it clear. Otherwise, because the standard that we know in, in Earth is transphobic, <laughs> a transphobic world, um, that's kind of the default, unfortunately. And so I think we have to actively fight against it by showing it actively as the norm, which it is in, in the Star Wars galaxy. Right. I think deeply about how fantasy and science fiction are deeply influenced by culture, because if we're in a galaxy far, far away, right. And I love using the term like Latinos in space, whatever, whatever. But at the the end of the day, like Latin America doesn't exist in a galaxy far, far away, but we're still coding these characters, right. My, my main character, um, in a crash of fate, I specifically looked for names, that had Basque and um, Catalan and old Spanish mm-hmm. uh, origins, um, because even though like the spelling of it still kind of looks very Star Wars, but right. I needed that to signal, yeah, we're in, we're on Batu, we're at Galaxy's Edge, but these characters look a very specific way, right. Um, and that's the only thing that I could figure out how to do because at the end of the, like, there's no adobo on Galaxy's Edge <laughs> season the Tibia. There is more to Latino culture than adobo, but there is no seasoning in the world. <laughs> period. Yeah, I'm talking Latina about Latino culture. Look, the adobo, there's Daniel, more. serious question. Do they use... Adobo on Alderaan, or did they? I'm really focused on the Bustelo aspect of this conversation, selfishly. Okay. So I can't speak oh, to the Adobo, no. but I, I will say that there is a calf droid in canon who is obsessed with coffee, but he gets the coffee beans from Endor. Nice. I don't Which know is Guatemala. I don't know if that's a Latinx planet or not, but I don't, oh, oh, not the buns. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I feel you, right? And that's like a real thing, and that's something I think about too, right? Like we we talk, we kind of like fan cast stuff, and we you know we have this conversation about Latinos in space, halfway jokingly, halfway seriously, in part because like the actors do matter, right? And the actors bring that certain culture and flair to their roles. Like, of course, like Rogue One is the best example of that. I have been in this fight since I was six years old, right? And him making that statement about, you know, saying that he was very intentional about keeping his accent, right? And, like, there are accents in the galaxy far, far away. And we know that, especially because, like, in the original trilogy, they coded, like, British people as Imperials for a reason. You know, and, like, (laughs) minus Obi-Wan Kenobi. And there's, like, that interesting dynamic, right, where they, exactly that. We are always reflecting. It's, like, an endless 
reflecting cycle between fantasy and reality, right? Where fantasy is influenced by reality and then fantasy goes on to influence reality, which then influences fantasy. So it's always an ongoing conversation. I don't think we ever get to say like, oh no, it's totally detached. It's over there, right? And so that's where I think some of the discomfort happens too, that, that I, I feel you on, D. Like, it, we can't, it's not totally devoid of it. And that's what I'm saying with the casting, like those things matter, right? So, and there are, there is a, like a culture to Star Wars that in the original trilogy, especially is like obviously influenced by like dominant white American culture. And that, what does that mean? You know, like, what do we do with that? And I think. And the aesthetics of it are very Japanese and samurai. Right. So that, and then there's that piece, right? There's influences drawn from all over the place in a very, I think like, uh, self-aware way, right? They know that they're pulling yeah. from like, you know, George Lucas has always been a film fanatic and he loves Westerns and he loves samurai and like those, you know, as film motifs. And he very consciously brings them in and, and Dave Filoni too, you know? So we see those mm-hmm. like <clears throat> aspects in there and what's complicated there is they have also like cultural meaning, right? Beyond the film aspect of it, they also speak to larger cultures that have you know, power differentials and other complex things involved. And, you know, I think there's a whole conversation to be had there. I, like, I, I, it, it also can drive us into loops and spirals <laughs> because in some ways it just doesn't make sense. But, but at the end of the day, it's also like, I just appreciate when there are these little touchstones of things that feel familiar in any fantasy world. And you're, we're always, I think, as fantasy creators, trying to find that balance, right, between like the familiar and the fresh and the brand new, like, and the, and the, and the fantastical. So it's like, you know, it's a fantasy world, but like a character sits down and enjoys a steaming beverage. And like, that feels so real, right? Cause we all know what it feels like to enjoy a steamy beverage. And if you call it coffee or calf, it still feels really familiar and that feels good. And is that a cultural touchstone? Like, it depends how dark the coffee is, right? Like, how much sugar do you put in it? Like, oh these are all God. things. Like, what you don't want to do is like pull someone out of the galaxy. So it's like, how do you like make them feel at home? And, and, and by them, I mean, like, how do you make readers who haven't always felt at home in Star Wars feel at home and have cultural touchstones, but not feel like they're on Earth, like still feel like they're on Alderaan or Tatooine or whatever it is? You know what I mean? So are you saying I that do. like readers and watchers come to Star Wars to like literally not see home? See, I think it's both. I think that all fantasy readers and watchers come to fantasy to both feel far away and to feel at home simultaneously. And that's the challenge for the fantasy writer is to find a balance of those things. Like if we're being honest, you know, like planets or faraway worlds probably have no touchstones whatsoever. The humans wouldn't look human. You know, the people, none of that shit. You know what I mean? Like there's all kinds of things in there that are, we just take for granted to be like, the you know, when they ride horses in like any other like fantasy realm, like what, how did horses get there? But we don't ask those questions. It's like, just chill. Like sometimes you can't ask all the questions and you just got to enjoy. Right. But also like they're familiar touchstones. So like, so it's, you know what I always think about? It's the Miyazaki thing. You know, there's that famous moment in Spirited Away when um, yeah. the girl taps her, her little sneaker on the floor with her foot in it. Once she's putting her shoes back on, and it's like this really human moment, right? And like, yeah, that's a that's a portal fantasy. So like, it's in this world, and then, but that's in the moment when she's really, literally entering into the fantasy realm. And for it's it's like such a human and nuanced moment that really just is like that's a that's a twelve year old girl. Like as soon as you see it, you're just like that's such a real thing that actually anybody does of any age is like just a little foot tap. And I think that's like an anchor that then allows Miyazaki to like go take us to these amazing heights and fly on dragons and talk to rivers and everything else. And like, that's the balance. Like that's a perfect encapsulation of the balance. It's like, it's, it feels like home. It feels like familiar somehow, but it also feels totally fantastical and amazing. And like, there's always going to be a different way to strike that balance. And I think what I'm saying is like for Star Wars, it has a very particular kind of balance and like writing for Star Wars. It's not about knowing it's not going to be like a walking Wikipedia of information about like all the details. It's about understanding that balance that Star Wars strikes of like feeling like home, those moments that are like, oh, that's so real. I totally get that. And also feeling like, oh, my God, the galaxy is so big and there's these amazing creatures and everything else. Right. And I feel like for me to fall in love and like, you know, there are aspects of Star Wars that I love. I go see every single one. My parents always tell yeah. the story that I was literally born like 
on the night they went to go see Star Wars and my dad was like, please don't come yet. Let me enjoy this. They were literally in line and I came, I didn't, she didn't go into labor until the next day. And they were able to see Star Wars, right? So they always called me a Star Wars baby. And so I grew up watching all of them. My dad reads all of the books, all the comics, all of it. I I grew up with it in my house. And I just have always, and he loves it. I've had a hard time connecting because I'm looking for more of those little foot taps, like you said. It remind me that like this is still a human person doing an extraordinary thing. Uh Um. And I guess I'm overwhelmed also by the coding in Star Wars, right? Mm. Let's talk about mm. coding, the yeah. ethnicity coding, the racial coding, the analogs, right. and yeah. how the science behind that and like what ties them together. Because for me, they feel hodgepodge, but there's probably a larger idea there. Um, so, and it might be just that I'm a hater. That could also be a thing, like, no, which is real. No, no. I'm, I'm not saying that. I, I have said that. Yeah. I did call her hater. But I, because like they're, okay. So I do think that there are a lot of planets do have cultural codes, right? Uh, Naboo has a very specific human culture. Um, and that's going to be different than the culture of the people who settled on the planet of Batu, because a lot of planets do have indigenous species. And then you have the humans who come and settle because the empire brought them there for some reason or, or other. And Daniel can correct me um, no, no, as no, the Wikipedia. <laughs> I just said I'm not a walking Wikipedia, damn it. <laughs> um, uh, I, I want to get... Uh, story group to fact check this episode. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but I do think that there are moments, there are, there are planets that have cultures and some are more developed than others. Whereas like a, a city like Coruscant, right. which is in the center of the galaxy, it's a core world. Um, it's going to look a little bit more high tech, but have less of that that cultural nuance Mm -hmm. uh, because it's like Midtown as opposed to uh, Arkansas, right? With like in a field. (laughs) First of all, what's your beef with Arkansas? It's where my grandfather is from. So boop on you. Um, Number two. Fine. Galapagos in the middle of rocks in the, in the Pacific ocean. (laughs) Fine. I just, yeah. I'm looking for more. And okay. So if I was building a Star Wars of my own, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. Like uh-huh. this huge space thing, whether who cares when it's galaxy far, far away, but like in the past, whenever, like this right. whole other sure. universe, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would do some wild shit, like with race and culture. And think about would you have I would I would have some form of it, yes. I would I would have a commentary on it. I would think about what is the next iteration of racism, right? Mm. How does when when technology and access come together mm. and then and then bringing sort of access to like the universe, access to the speed of light, access right. to like that, um, how does that affect racism? How does that mm-hmm. affect how we organize societies? Um, and I would do some deep thinking about that and who gets to go first, who gets to control access, who gets to control technology, because it's already still, it's already happening, right? Um, and think about my universe and think about sort of what qualities that are great for, for certain terms of travel, and terrain and how does that relate to species? How does that relate to race and ethnicity that, and all of that stuff. And like thinking about the way people were thinking about stupid eugenics, right. And how Mm -hmm. stupid that is, but to make a commentary on what I think that power structure would do as human beings get access to the, to the universe, to the universe. Um, Because I do think we're inherently dumb and I do think we would make mistakes if we, all of a sudden got access to the, you know what I mean? Speed of light that we could travel and that we, you know what I mean? Got to a wormhole or whatever, or even that we were able to build technology 
I do think that our own shortcomings would affect our evolution. I'm just asking for a consideration of that. That's all. This is the way we behave. We've behaved this way for thousands of years. Who, why do we think that shit's going away so easily? Because we meet a droid or we meet Chewbacca. Wookiees have a, a very hard time in this galaxy, as Daniel can tell you. Oh, excuse me. Then give me Jabba Jabba, that big man, whatever his name is, that big slug. What's his I name? Did you so. just say Jabba Jabba? Is that, that his name? Jabba. Sorry. No, who's the big slug? He's not cute. He's like a, he's no, real. Jabba Jabba is fine. We'll just go with Jabba Jabba. I think that's, Ooh, that's the new okay. candidate. Okay. <laughs> help me. Help me. Help me. I think, um. I think, like, I, I get what you're saying. So I don't, I'm not disagreeing with you. I think for me, it's like, if if I was going to create, I still feel like you're conflating the future with a different world, like, realm. Like, um, if, if if we're talking about a whole other fantasy world, like, I'm definitely not saying, like, racism doesn't have a place in fantasy realms. Like, absolutely, if you're going to, if that's what you're, if that's the story you're trying to tell, then the challenge, I think, is, like, how do you build that into the history part of it? Because, like, the whole like you like you can't detach i don't know you're not saying to do this but you can't detach racism from the history of race right and so then it becomes like then you create like you have to create that whole history right and yes that's interesting you know and i think like there's ways that star wars has been in conversation with different forms of oppression with different levels of success um but but like you know i i think that's like a project that is about that and like star wars isn't about that okay so you're saying that okay if i'm creating a future and we're going into the future from our human civilization as we know it then i can carry forward these things because i need to think about them deeply because they would follow us into the future of our world I'm definitely on that like we are of the same mind entirely and and not to plug my book but to plug my book, Please plug City, I'm about to. Plug City is like exactly <laughs> direct response to the lack of that in like other franchises that are in the future. And mysteriously, there's no race problem because that shit bothers me too, you know. And like Flood City is very explicitly a world where there was a huge disaster caused by the chemical barons, who are a largely white corporation who caused the flooding and then knew it was coming. So they got out of town, which means to the stars and stayed there while the earth was destroyed by flood. Um, and then the last, there was a group of school kids who were supposed to go off on an intergalactic field trip um, that day. And they survived because they happened to be in a cruiser that was able to, you know, sustain life for a large amount of time. Meanwhile, there's a blockade stopping anybody from getting off planet. So they just like flew along the surface of the water for months and months until they found the city and all that's backstory. But it is like, why Flood City is mostly black and brown people and the folks in the sky are not. And and then it's about what do you do when, you know, you're that kid on the ground who's like trying to save his city and also that kid in the stars who realizes that his whole family has been part of this really fucked up project for, you know, centuries. And they have to kind of forge an alliance and figure out, you know, what the next move is. And so like, you know, I think we have to think about race and like what that means in terms of, natural disasters and unnatural disasters especially and like what you do with it and where you go with it and you know how you how you deal with all those facts um so yeah that's really what it's about it's like very literally about like dealing with race in the future and not ignoring it i love that and taking on the topic of environmental racism and what what's going to happen about who gets to survive um you know these big right. environmental things that happen to large swaths of the, the world and who gets yeah. to survive and who doesn't um, and who has the resources. I love mm-hmm. that. But, but you're right when thinking about, I guess if I'm building star Wars and I'm building something brand new, it's a new set of ingredients where I can mm-hmm. remix the, the civilizations in different ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that totally. is, that's hard. I'm like, damn. Right. It's its own saga really uh, and and they, i don't i don't think i know i said like it has to be about that i don't think it has to be like explicitly all about that right i'm just saying like that's a huge chunk of the history and the story to be told to make it all kind of like 
makes sense. And that's a cool challenge. Like I'm not knocking it at all. I, I, I think it's hard to find room for that in Star Wars itself. Um, and I don't think it really like fits because it would feel sort of out of place. And I think that's okay. Like I, I really do think it's okay for us to make worlds that don't have the problems we have in this world. I think we have to like be very real about again, like how we cast that. <laughs> like, are we aware, you know, as we're doing the re- like representation still matters, right? Because the movies right. themselves come out in this world, not that one. So like, you know, the Mandalorian is like such an amazing and diverse Star Wars. Like it's, there was a couple scenes where it was just all people of color on a ship together, like fighting the good fight. And I was like, we haven't seen that in Star Wars except for the last Jedi. We barely have gotten to see that in Star Wars. It's like a whole crew of all people of color. And right. that's kind of amazing. And it's A, amazing that it's taken 30 years of history for it to happen, 40 years of history for it to get there. But also, it's still really cool to see it. You know what I mean? And I think like Star Wars is always trying to like figure itself out and find its own balance and, and move along with the times without being, a, being too much of this world. And that's kind of the struggle, right? And I guess that is like a good thing in that yeah everyone you can find a place for yourself in star wars and the ism that you're fighting is not something of this world so that is a refreshing thing right so john boyoga is fighting evil right he's not fighting an evil that's related to him being having black skin because black skin right. doesn't mean a thing anything in the world of star wars so right. fine I'll give Star Wars. You don't have to like Star Wars. It's fine. No, but I'm enjoying it. I do enjoy it. Look, <laughs> there are things I that I like enjoy. It. I like it enough for the both of us. So, but okay. So, I want to talk about coding in fantasy worlds because yeah. this is also where I uh, just regular, regular, like Alabrasia. You know the kingdom of Alabrasia. Like this is the 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 issue I have with a lot of um a lot of fantasy mm-hmm. where it's this like mishmash of like of of European right European coding right. right. This is the default. Mm-hmm. Um, and so can you cook? Does everything have to have a cultural code, or is it? Can you make? Can we make something completely original? I think we asked this question to to Kate Elliott uh, last year. Hmm around this time. Hmm. And Kate said, no, Kate said that every, that, that you don't just pull something from the ether. Mm-hmm. You, cause you imagine something as a represent, like when you're writing something, you're imagining you're, you're, it's coming from a touchstone, right? Whether it's a shape, a color, a pattern, and mm-hmm. all of those things have an origin. Right. So how do we do this for fantasy for the fantasy writers? I don't know if we can, I'm not sure if it matters. I think it's sort of like politics, right? Like it's less about whether or not they're there and more about how strategic and intentional you are about Mm -hmm. getting there. Right. Like, and I think the mistake does come when, I guess that means that it's impossible, but I I think the mistake comes when people kind of throw up their hands and are like, Oh, this is just going to be, this has nothing to do with any culture whatsoever. And it's like, okay, bro, like you are really getting (laughs) fucked up. You know what a good example is? Did you guys see Soul? Yeah, and I was real upset, okay. Yeah, right. So oh, like man. Yeah, right, right, right. So like but like the just specifically the part that's like supposed to be the before world or whatever. Mm-hmm. I know they I felt like they were trying to do something neutral with that. And I felt like they didn't, but it felt like an attempt to do that. You know what I mean? Like yes. it was very like white American vibe, but it felt like it was trying to be very like neutral vibe. And that I felt like was one of the issues that kind of came up with the movie is like that they were trying to do something that isn't really possible to do. And in the attempt, they threw strategy out the window and just kind of went, it's it's like, what do you, what do you, what's going on? You know, like things have culture and you, you don't get to create a neutral space. That's not it doesn't work or I don't know, maybe there's a way to do it, but they didn't. I, I don't know. It was really jarring to me because the, because the, the, this world part was so very clearly intentionally cultured. Right. And they did, mm-hmm. you know, beautiful work, like aesthetically creating that Brooklyn. And then they like did a whole other thing with the other thing. And it just, I don't know, it felt really jarring to me and it felt like they were trying not to have a culture. And it failed. Right. I think that, there's a for me like cultural specificity is important 
in a lot of things because, and this is why I think that certain, certain genres that, that do too much of, of one thing over and over again, sort of like they fall off. Like if you look at, um, I don't know how many romantic comedies you've watched in your life, Daniel, but, uh, romantic comedies, for an example, how many times can you have Catherine Heigl, you know, working at a magazine trying to find her true love, right? (laughs) There's, there's no cultural specificity. So putting a person of color there into her shoes is not enough. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think that then you have something like, it's not my big fat neutral wedding, right? It's my (laughs) big fat Greek wedding. (laughs) Which by the way, I I just rewatched it and it's really good. good. It's so good. Remember how good it was. Like I I liked it when I saw, I was a kid when I saw it when it came out and I was like, that was a good movie. But like, I didn't have like a great memory of it, but rewatching it, like, holy shit, that was a really good movie. Why you want to leave me? (laughs) (laughs) And it is because like, even though that family's Greek, I'm like, this family could easily be Latinx, right? Right, right, right. Which is funny because I think it proves the point that like the more culturally specific you actually get, the more people you actually talk to, which is the, uh, uh, the more people like identify with it, which is the opposite of what they kind of tell you, right? I feel like there's really bad advice out there that's like, try to be neutral and try to be like really universal or whatever that bullshit thing, which really means white, right? Which is like people really just trying to get you to write more white and that's messed up. And and I think it causes a lot of mediocre literature when people try to take that on and they're like, I'm just going to tell the every man's journey. And it's like, stop it. <laughs> and so, so then, and then you get something like, um, uh, crazy rich Asians, right. Which has incredible specificity and is, is about, uh, different like different generations of 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 asian people too and Mm -hmm. and diasporas so when you transport that into creating fantasy worlds right um it i i'm harder to let that go versus star wars like i think it's because like i understand what what Star Wars is trying to do. And whereas like when we're creating fantasy worlds, it almost feels like they are more, uh, there are more excuses to be like, I'm just going to make Europe light. Right. 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 Yeah. I mean, I think it's, 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 I think that where it really gets interesting is that it's both a political question and a craft question. And like Star Wars, again, actually I think is a good example of this in that like the problem with someone like, um, Jar Jar, for instance, that name, yes. dreaded name, um, is both that it's a it's a racist representation and it pulls you out of the world. Like both of those things are 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 the problem with it. Um, is that that me. big slug? Let me Google. No, that's Jabba. Jabba, Jabba the Hutt. Not for nothing. Jabba the Hutt is a really good example of a way in which it works. Like Jabba the Hutt feels like no culture I can think of offhand. Like he kind of has a hookah, but it doesn't. It's not. He's not coded as like Arabic in any way that I notice. Like it just. Yeah. It, he just feels like a big space slug, and that's I think what works so well about that whole sequence, which is my favorite sequence in Star Wars, is that there aren't actual real cultural touchstones, so it feels very very fresh. But not, it doesn't feel neutral at all. Like they were very, the design is very like culturally specific and it's very fantastical and it doesn't feel like culturally specific to any culture we know. Uh, as opposed to a lot of moments in the prequel trilogy that feel like they're pointing directly at very real earth cultures. And that's when I think things get uncomfortable and you get pulled out of the world. And you're like, what? what is, why is that dude like clearly have an Italian accent? Like what is happening? You know what I mean? And like, but again, it's a tricky balance. Like I don't think it's easy to do and I think Star Wars has always tried to find the balance and sometimes with success and sometimes not, you know? And that's an interesting thing to think, to think about too. And I haven't looked at sort of the dialogue around the Star Wars analogs that show up and all the issues and the beef and the frustrations. It's wild because as much as, as I just said that, I, I also really love in The Mandalorian recently when, what's his name, Bill Burr used his Boston accent. I fucking loved that. And that people, was fucking delightful. People came at him over it. And, and like, I know I just talked about how accents can pull you out, like obvious accents. And then I just contradicted myself. So I, I don't totally know the answer. I know, like, it, it feels sometimes, some uses of it feel like they really work and some don't. And I don't think it's a simple question at all. 
I like to think that somewhere in the galaxy, there is like a tiny planet where it's just like mass holes, right? Like right. little Massachusetts. Yeah. And that's where Bill Burr's from. Um, and and I, I actually didn't mind that because it oh, okay. felt like a development of his character. And we've already right. seen him explode um, <laughs> as a character in previous episodes, like in a previous episode. And so I didn't totally, I didn't, I was not pulled out by that. But I also think that, I'm really fascinated in the idea of using other accents in Star Wars aside from like a British accent. Here's, here's what and, I think it is. Oh, sorry. Uh, finish. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, or, or a ba- or basic. Right. <laughs> I really think that it's, it's a subtlety of um, the way that it feels. I think we know instinctively when a portrayal is coming from someone who thinks of that as home versus coming from someone who thinks of that as other. And I think when you get into a lot of the um, other examples, like earlier examples in Star Wars, um, it very much feels like people who see that accent as like meaning someone else, someone other, someone that they meet in a bar or in a shady neighborhood or has a particular cultural connotation. And that's and that specific use of that accent to connote that other is where it starts to feel uncomfortable and starts to like feel really exaggerated and caricature like and pull us out of the world. Whereas when Diego Luna is doing it or when Bill Burr is doing it, like you can tell that they live that accent, even if that's not even like an accent that they naturally speak with, unless they're around their family, whatever, like it feels much more like an accent made out of love and a sense of home than one made out of a sense of like, we're going to caricature this community and show it as other. This shit is wild. It's just wild when we think about it. (laughs) I hadn't totally put a name to it before, but I really think that's what it is. My brain is like firing a mile a minute thinking about this. But we think about it all the time when we're when we're creating, right? As fantasy authors, mm-hmm. um, right. as science fiction authors, I have a I have a harder time. I have an easier time watching space operas versus reading them sometimes. Um, yeah, I mean they're so visual. It's a visual medium. It is a visual medium, but I I'm so hungry for more people of color in. In, cer- in certain mediums. And this is a medium that I feel very strongly about right. seeing more black and brown people in it. Right. Um, and that's why I wanted, I put together the anthology, which Daniel is part of reclaim the stars. When does that come and out? It comes out in 2022. We don't have a date yet. Okay. Um, okay. But it, I was actually fascinated by the amount of, by the amount of science fiction stories that we had. And mm-hmm. I started thinking about that. And part of me really thought that it, it really is as if Latinx people in particular, um, it's like still a living, like you're still living with colonization because we still haven't hammered out any of the issues that have got, that have happened in the countries that we come from, right? Like we haven't reckoned with slavery and colonization in in a lot of ways and and those movements are so small and they keep getting stamped down by governments right so i feel like the the stories are so dystopian because of that right Mm. but when i watch dystopian on the big screen Mm. it's a skinny white girl with brown hair you know leading the revolution so I think about all of that when when reading sci-fi and when reading fantasy in mm-hmm. particular. Mm-hmm. I think about that too. I think The Hunger Games is another really interesting example that both rankled me and inspired me at the same time, as does so much mm-hmm. like uh, of the I, I don't know what to call it, the last generation of, of YA literature that was huge. Yeah, the last those last big ones. Right, like we came up reading them probably in our twenties or te- late teens, right, and then beyond that a little bit too whatever point is like they were publishing before we were and they're huge and still are huge and like our cultural milestones in different ways um i think the hunger games like does an interesting job of it and doesn't at the same time like kind of it's a mixed bag right and i think the movies in particular kind of fail a lot more levels (laughs) you know like with the with kind of like whitewashing um the main what's her name Katniss and you know just different like things that are aren't there in the books that they there's that riot that they threw in in like the quote unquote like black area <laughs> precinct what are they called of course because we turn up we turn up randomly, like, had a black riot for no reason they did. 
but like the districts. Districts, thank you. Shit like that. I think in the yeah. book, in the book, it was something supposed to be like uh, they cut off their food supply or something like like their rations. Yeah, it, it was very much like I I I think that the all, the characters are described as like ethnically ambiguous, like olive skin and right. all of those things. But in the movies, obviously, they're cast way differently. Um, yeah. But if you're thinking about a world like this, this entire series, it's a world in which all of Danielle's big questions, what happens to access, what happens to technology. We have this like light speed train that travels across the country. Right. We have access to that, right? The first two districts in the capital. And so all of those questions are there. They're just not answered to, for us. Right. You know what I think a lot about is like how much being an organizer um, affected my life as a writer. Like I was, you know, I was organizing for a couple of years before I became a writer. And when you're doing like workshops about race and gender with people who are resistant on every different level, you know, like having direct one-on-one conversations, uh, you know, about these like deep ass topics and sometimes for days at a time and sometimes in just these quick one-off type shots. And like, you know, there's a lot of skills that you pick up doing that, that like turn out to really come in handy in the publishing industry, as you guys know, as well as I do. And, um, I, I, it like, it makes me wish sometimes that like every writer, especially every writer of color, like, you know, had like that experience. (laughs) Like, but then I'm also like just living in the world as a person of color, you get that experience. Right. But this was so concentrated and it and it's dealing with like that very particular kind of bureaucracy that is publishing, um, that really like just taught me a lot about sort of managing a lot of those situations and it's still really hard and impossible. And, um, you know, I'm just like a lot of the, the writers that we, especially of that generation just didn't want to think about race. Like a lot of the white writers who were doing YA fantasy were like, let's not think about race. The same tactic that we're talking about with culture, you know, it's like, let's and politics, like, let's, I'm just not gonna think about it. And hopefully it works out in my books. Like, I mean, I've had like countless conversations with writers where I will ask them directly, like, how do you think about politics within your work? And they go, no, 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 no. I don't don't know. It just works out. It's, It's great. You know, I just like close my eyes and it's like, no other topic of writing will you ever hear a writer just throw up their hands in that way and be like, oh, no, I just hope it all works out. Like, writers don't say that shit about foreshadowing or, like, metaphors <laughs> or anything else. You know what I mean? Like, writers love oh, being, sure. like, super meticulous and specific about all their thoughtful processes and, like, all their intricate strategies about how they plotted out shit. They'll talk for days about that shit, but come to politics, and it's like, no, 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 absolutely not. Motherfucker. I, I remember that I've, I feel like I've seen this happen where it's just like, I just want to tell happy stories and right. have fun. But I do think that like how much time people spend being proud of their searches online, like their Google searches where I'm like, <laughs> Oh my God, the F- I'm on an FBI watch list because then look up how to kill somebody. Oh my God. Right. And But then it's like, but you don't want to answer the question. Like, how did you mean this allegory? when you when you decided to make like this one person a villain and like right. you know you know what i mean like nobody they, wants to the, uh, talk about that they don't want to answer to those questions they don't want to and that's how you end up with a race of goblin bankers with long noses yes <laughs> no for real or they want to add the for some reason your community especially let's add the latino who doesn't you know what i mean who is only a little bit latino but there's the diversity right. Right, right? right. There's no coding yeah, right. there. Oh, they don't speak Spanish. So like, as if that is the only marker of what it means to be yeah. Latinx. <laughs> right. Like really adobo guys, just adobo all the way. Just kidding. Do not quote me on this. They should literally pay me. I give them so much free advertising, but anyway, why don't you I get know. a sponsorship, bro? <laughs> like you can put on your little hat. Put on your guayabera. Do you got a guayabera? Let me not throw away my good marketing opportunity. Yeah, there you go. Don't exactly, because you could be Cafe Papi. Actually, what I want what I want is um, Juan Valdez. That's what I actually want. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is derailed. Um, but, okay, wait. Before we put that point to bed, this idea of, like, people not wanting to do the work of actually engaging in race and ethnicity or issues of power right. and structure. 
um, at all. It's like, I just want to write a story about love. I just want us to write a story about magic. Like on every panel, (laughs) we do too. Literally my soul leaves my body on every panel because it's always some like well-meaning white lady who's like, Oh my God, I was just writing about sisters. Like it every time. And you're just like, Oh my God. Like you didn't think about anybody because you don't have to. You don't have Mm. to engage in those topics if you don't want to. It's a choice. Mm. It's a choice to not think about race and ethnicity and sexism or, or sexism is the shortcut, right? But you don't have to engage in intersections or ableism, right? Like at all. And I just, I like, I just think it can be lazy. It is lazy to -hmm. not even think about it or consider it. And I think it's something to think about. I think at the end of the day too, like it, it, all this stuff makes our stories better, like makes stories better. Like if like race is one example, but thinking through culture and power and history and how those things intersect and like what it does to our daily lives, like what it's literally the, the stuff of conflict, both internal and external, which is really like the backbone of story. So it's like, you're only missing out on ways to make your story more layered and more interesting by refusing to engage with stuff that's like right in front of your face. You know, I always think about Brooklyn actually, like, because coming into writing what turned out to be urban fantasy, but I didn't actually realize it was like, there was a name for it even, even though I'd read some of it, I just wasn't totally aware of like that concept when I started writing it and like immediately started to read up on it and immediately found out that it was like people writing about a world that doesn't exist, but not in a good way, <laughs> like not in like the thoughtful way and not in even in the star Wars way, because they were calling it this world, but sprinkling in like fairies and goblins and then calling it urban fantasy, but like not doing the work of dealing with this world. And like to the, to come full circle, like star Wars to its credit has no pretensions of dealing with this world. But if you're telling me that this is set in Brooklyn, but it's all white people, you know, it's like girls, the show, but with goblins, oh. the creature, oh. right? like you're, not, you're telling me a lie about, about the place that you're supposed to be setting your story in. And like literature can't lie. That's like, that's, that's what gets me is like Brooklyn at the, at the time that this was happening and still obviously was undergoing like one of the largest, like, you know, gentrifications movements of people, um, you know, basically like deportations over, over class and race that, that, that America has known like, and it's still going on. Right. And like literature pretended that it wasn't happening. The show girls pretended that it wasn't happening. Like that's just baked into the recipe of so much urban fantasy is like, put your hands over your eyes and just keep it moving. And the reality Mm -hmm. is like people are getting forced out of their homes and that's a, that's a big deal. And it's not something that you can just ignore, but that's what literature has done for so long. And I find it mind boggling that it took like people of color coming to urban fantasy to be like, wait, there's something happening in the cities that's beyond just like, you know, wear pigeons having sex. I you okay. did not say wear pigeons. Well, <laughs> Daniel, uh, yes, this is why you're see, here. This is why I love you. Sizzling, Sizzling <laughs> trended on. No, it didn't trend, but it was a hashtag on Twitter one night when I was ranting about this exact topic years ago. I talk about wear animals all the time, and Danielle gets so mad at me. What's and wrong, I do. What's wrong with wear animals, Danielle? Look, you're because the- no, no, no. She left something pertinent out. She talks to me about polar bears that are were bears that have sex with women, that they're That's a man, amazing. a sexy man during the day and at night they're bears. And where then, can I read that? Um I found a I found a because uh, I'm planning on writing a Santa Claus erotica next year. <laughs> oh my um, God. Oh my or this God. year actually it's this year. It's twenty twenty one. I thought that uh, and, I, I like have that in my head. I have you in my head associated with Santa Claus erotica. Good. Um, I found a Santa Claus erotica where r- the the reindeer Santa's reindeers are actually were reindeers, mm-hmm. and Rudy Rudolph um, is a girl, and she is romantically involved with Santa Claus, and she is a were reindeer. Why is she like this? Help me, help! Oh my god! In- why, Daniel? Oh god. Help me! Help me. This is oh my, my life. So when you I'm say wear sure. pigeons, mm-hmm. no, no, no. I'm when mean, you say wear pigeons, right. <laughs> I can't. Yeah. But 
<laughs> I in the program. Urban fantasy is where it's at, oh and we're hitting of a whole new YA trend. Just wait. <laughs> where pigeon? So what are we? Look, okay, it's time for advice. It's time for the the advice that we give our our, our readers. Our, oh, cool. Excuse me. The advice that we give our listeners, mm-hmm. um, just like the things that we keep in mind when we're creating worlds. Um, if we want to we want to code, if we want to world build, what do you keep in mind? Hmm. Um, let me plug something I wrote about this. It's, okay. It's called 12 Fundamentals of Writing the Other and the Self. It's on BuzzFeed. And that is, I just I just do that because it is literally the things I keep in mind. And I wrote it like as a kind of a shorthand because I know it's a topic that comes up a lot. So I hope that's helpful to people. Um, mm-hmm. But also like just in general, like the, the, the quick answer is like you have to know the history of the representation to some extent. I say to some extent because it's impossible to really get a full wrap around of like, you know, histories of representations are centuries long and you're not going to get the whole thing, but you have to have an understanding of, of what the world has already said and what, what is the canon that you're adding to? You know what I mean? Like, what are you in conversation with? And if you don't know what you're in conversation with, you're very likely to bungle that conversation. Um, you know, that's the kind of research people always lean on research in like lectures about this topic, about just like cultural relevancy and stuff like that. And they just go research, research, research. And they mean factual research. They mean like, you have to read everything you can about that culture. And it's like, cool. Yes, those are important things to know. But if that's the long and the short of it, if that's the beginning and the end of it, you're going to fail because the power dynamics are also something you need to research, including like your own power dynamic in the situation. And that's not the kind of research they're talking about because they never mentioned that, but that matters. That matters as much, if not more than the data and the factual stuff. And it's harder to research. It's more, it's more, it's more uncomfortable. It's harder to find the information. It's analytics. It's soul searching. That's the shit that you have to do. That is also, again, what makes books and movies better. And I think that's great because so many people, and I think publishing as well, encourages us to do the bare minimum or to do the thing to meet people right. where they are versus doing right. the whole work of like, uh, get it right um, or right. don't write it. Stop engaging mm-hmm. with this if you can't do it right. Like you're wasting everybody's time. But Right, um, exactly. And it's not about getting dragged on Twitter or not, which is what no. publishers are worried about. Anything. It's actually right. about the fact that these stories do matter. Like, I think what kills me, and I still see this to this day, is people acting like stories don't matter. And it's storytellers themselves. You know, mm-hmm. people who just want to act and want to pretend for the sake of their own analysis and, and innocence that, with quotations around it, that, um, it, that, like, you know, stories don't affect people. But they're the same people who will, in another article, say, stories change the world. Stories are the light in the darkness. (laughs) Bro, if stories matter that much, then they can fuck up the world, too. And, in fact, they have for many, many centuries. It is the stories that we told that have allowed for the conquests, for slavery, for so many other things. And that's that's something we need to reconcile and recognize and deal with, is that, like, these stories are important. That's why we love them, but that's also why we need to be responsible when we wield them. Exactly, because then they become the definitive narrative that walks around in someone's skin, literally. I talk about this when people bring up books like American Dirt, where I'm like, it's one, it's a bad book. Number two, it also purports to define an entire group of people Mm -hmm. and their movement on this planet. And that's a problem when you say that this is the graphs of race, uh, wrath of the Latino community, what are you talking about? Right? Like, like just like the help, grips of wrath, whatever. Like, I hate that book too. Um, it's just one of those things where I'm like, I look at the help. The help was a definitive work that shed light on a plight of black women in the South, like my grandmother. So this is my grandmother's story. That's what you're telling me. And all right. people have to do is read that story and they can understand like her. And the life right. she lived, fuck out of right. here. And I just think it's a recklessness. Um, and it's capitalism and it's a money grab and it's all of those things. But oh, yeah. I'm over it. And I think that when we create stories like Star Wars and we create, you know, space operas and we create futures or we create new civilizations and new worlds, we, ha- we have to do the work. That's part of yeah. the work of being a writer. It is all yeah. of this questioning. 
there is no story just about sisters. <laughs> like, right. I don't want to hear that on a panel. Like, there is no story just about sisters. Those sisters live in a context, world. in a world. It is. Yes. I was on a panel <laughs> with a person where I was talking about the bells and like how I did deep interrogation, thinking about bodies, thinking about how bodies are terrorized, how they're, you know what I mean, assigned value um, mm -hmm. in a way and commercialized. And a woman next to me, she's like, I just wanted to write a book about sisters, like in a fantasy world. And like, oh my gosh, like you were thinking so deeply about everything. And I was looking at her like, and you didn't? You didn't think about any so of this? You're saying it like in direct contrast to what you said. Well, I was just talking and then she right. said it to me. Like right. I, I wasn't interrogating femininity or women or the patriarchy or sisters and bonds and sort of behavior and fantasy where she just wanted to write a book about sisters. And I kept right. thinking like, how do I get this freedom? I just right. like, how do I get a, I just want to write a book about a little were pigeon in New York, but I'm going to have to deal with where, what neighborhood that pigeon is in. And if they have access to food and water and how right. they're treated, right. And what body do they turn into when they're not in their pigeon form and how that body is treated. And I just want to write about a were pigeon and like, why am I programmed to think like this? And I she's mean, not. Because you occupy a racialized body. Right. Right. But, but also, yeah. I think, like, it, it bears opinion that, like, it, 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 the stories are better. Like, those are the better stories when they go through that process. Like, period. You know, like, it's like everything is better for it. It just, it's harder. Yes. It's a struggle for sure. And there are definitely times when it's like, ah. but, um, you know, those are the books that shine to me. It is a little thing called nuance. And um, I do want to emphasize something that Daniel said, which is uh, reading in in that space, right? Because I can't tell you how many times, you know, I've been around younger writers who are like, this book has never existed before. And I'm like, but there's an entire cultural, like, wealth of of this one culture being written about in fantasy and and you're like it doesn't exist my book is the first <laughs> and so I think that you know as as writers of color I I always I'm always afraid to say like my book is the first to do xyz because it's usually not right. um and there are people writing in in the space it's it's a matter of who gets the access to to the publishers to be mm -hmm. able to to be read mm -hmm. um but yeah, this has been a really wonderful conversation. I expected nothing less from you, Daniel. Oh. Um, <laughs> I mean, and Space Poppy was visiting Deadline City and like <laughs> dropped so many bars. Like, it's so great. <laughs> I love fussing with you, talking to you, all of the great. things. I really enjoyed myself. I love a good conversation that gets deep into stuff. And, and you know, that's what it should yeah, be. Yeah. And the thing is, like, we don't all have to agree. Like, we all have such different experiences and I mean, Don different Yoker, opinions. I can't always agree. That's I know. <laughs> I'm going to fall in love with Star Wars, I promise you. I have a Star Wars dad. You don't have to. There are things I love we about it. Baby Yoda. I love Baby Yoda. Let me just say this. I'm going to do a final plug. The High Republic, <laughs> okay, yeah. is a, a really good way to start Star Wars. Like, it is very full of lore and Jedi stuff, but it's also, it doesn't have a single Skywalker. It is uh, literally, like, 150 years before anything that we've ever seen before happens. Um, so it's further, it's more. Even longer long ago. ago. It's a long, 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 long time ago. And, um, yeah, I mean, it has Yoda and other, you know, potentially other people that are buff Yoda, shit. but, um, it's really like a fresh start and it, and it's really coolly interconnected in really interesting ways across mediums and stuff like that. But each, um, part of it really does tell its own story. Um, so, you know, I just think that's a really great way to jump in if you're like wary of Star Wars, but are also like, I'm kind of intrigued by it, but I don't feel like doing the, the homework of like watching all the, the entire Skywalker saga, which is a lot, let's be honest. Um, then you can just start with the High Republic and like see where it takes you. I mean, I was totally into sexy Anakin. So like I've, I'm there. 
but <laughs> well, then, it's fine. Then, you know, he wasn't I'll, even a feeder at this point, but that's all right. You I know, know. There's lots of Jedi all over the initiative. That's, there, that's the thing. There's like the Jedi. This is Jedi stories because they're not about to get massacred by Order 66. There's a whole, you know, century to go before all that downfall happens. So it is the high point of the Jedi, which is like ripe for storytelling. So, yeah. Well, I'm I'm down I'm for it, and I will give it a full yeah. chance. And like, I will always stay open minded. I do. I you know what I mean? I I want to see if I could one day create something that is do, like that is pure play, right? Where I can just get in a make my own mixture in a mm. space situation. One day I will mm. test myself and if I can do something like this. One day. I mean, it's yeah. going to be like Z and I have been saying this whole time, like, don't press yourself. You know what I mean? Like, if you want to challenge no, yourself. It's, like, no, but I it's, it's, when I get too comfortable, I, I do believe in right. challenging myself and really trying um, because I think yeah, I yeah. learned something and I so, won't lean absolutely. into the same instincts that I have storytelling wise. So right. I have right, right. issued a challenge. I will try right. to create something space related in a, some sort of galaxy and check back on you in five years <laughs> you. Uh, i did not come here like, for that drag so well, yes well, we'll anyway. all right well uh don't hang up daniel um but thank you so much for coming on deadline city once again thank you for having me All right, that's it for this week's episode of Deadline City. Thank you so, so much for listening to us. Our goal is to demystify the publishing and writing process and count on listeners like you for your support. So don't forget to review, comment, subscribe, and chat with us on our Twitter and Instagram Deadline City accounts. If you like what you hear, buy us a coffee on Kofi or join our Patreon community. So see you next week. And for now, right on. Deadline City is part of the Frolic Podcasts Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts.